was just up here a couple of hours, well, for a couple of hours, um, so I, yeah, well, it's not, it's not load shitting, it's just an outage, um, so, if my phone dies in the middle of this uh, recording, you'll, you'll know why. Yeah, we're running against the clock today. We're gonna have to fit in an hour of podcasting in less than an hour. Oh man, where's where's the where's the cocaine at? <laughs> I gotta supercharge your podcasting power. Uh, all right, so that that about wraps it up for our uh, Joburg power slash Louis uh, phone battery status hour. Actually, I'd w- I wanted to add another thing, that if you ever wanted to see the face of bourgeois privilege yes. um, in South Africa, just browse Joburg Power's tweet mentions. Oh, yeah? <laughs> People get real fucking angry real fucking quick. But, you know, I've been on the phone line with... Uh, City Power uh, a couple of times and they do tend to dawdle and not really help out so I understand becoming frustrated and then uh, every time it happens again you sort of like re-frustrated right from the beginning but nothing excuses that Twitter hate people just feel like they can hate it up on Twitter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. guys Mm -hmm. don't fucking don't add Joburg Power okay they're doing their best yeah. So maybe. Or if you if you at them, be like, "Hey guys, uh, I acknowledge your effort. We love you for being you." Yeah. Use the new 280 character limit to just be polite. Just be polite, just guys. Stuff it full of happy adjectives. Just like, bah, bah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that ends the Twitter etiquette hour. Yeah. Bringing us full circle back to our B-side production, Be Positive. Be Positive. Positive B-Movie Podcast, coming at you from the future, uh, the past. Pa- coming the at past. you from somewhere, some temporal location. Live from uh, two and a half weeks ago, my name is Louis. And my name is Fraser, and welcome to Deep Red. Deep Red. Yeah, we're doing another... Be positive, giallo bellied edition this week. I swear to God, we cannot do another giallo immediately after this one. Oh no! Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what we got for the next one. Uh, it is a bit of a doozy. But before we get on to okay. that, let's discuss Profondo Rosso. Profondo Rosso. Dario Argento's Deep Red. What a movie. Yeah, total stone-cold classic. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard somewhere that in this film, Dario Argento made the quintessential kind of classic giallo film where in Suspiria, he just, you know, he already mastered the genre and he was like bending it and like shoving different kind of things in there. But now with Deep Red, we've got just an absolute masterpiece. And before we get started on that... I have to uh, make everybody aware that there are two versions of this film. There is like the export cut or whatever. Yeah, they call it, officially it's called the director's cut. So there's the the director's cut and the uncut. Yeah. 
So with the director's cut, you do lose a lot of the essence of the film and really like the main thematic, you know, thing. Uh, it's a really big cut. It's like 26 minutes. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's so much content. This is the thing on YouTube. You can watch this film for free, but it is the cut version where the version that I have is like the super deluxe Blu-ray edition with all them featurettes and like oh. commentary. And I was watching, I just spent the whole day watching deep red featurettes and little mini docs and awesome. stuff. And uh, yeah. Yeah, because I was, I was a little worried about that when I saw there were two cuts. You know, I was, I was really hoping that you also got the uncut version. But now it yeah. seems as though you've... You've got quite a bit of a head start on me on this one. Yeah. Uh, you're a resident <laughs> expert for this app. Oh, God. Let's hope I remember anything at all. But oh uh, <laughs> let's get into a quick plot synopsis of yeah. Deep Red. So the film opens with a stage. We see these two big red curtains being pulled apart. On the stage, there are three people, a man, a woman, a man. The woman is a psychic named Helga Ullman and to her flank flanks are two other people who feature quite heavily but I can't remember their names the one is a professor of like parapsychology which is amazing and that's like my dream job he's Giordani yeah yeah I think that's the correct pronunciation (laughs) Giordani chef's kiss Uh, so (laughs) They're talking about, like, this woman can read vibes. She sort of knows what's happening in the past and the future. Not really, but she knows what's happening. And then suddenly she gets this this sense, this intense physical sense that, man, someone's head is filled with all kind of bad duty. It's all crazy. The vibe's wrong. And she starts She's hearing a, a children's song, which is not something you want to start hearing in your head. No, no, especially if you're psychic. You know, like, Jason is nearby, or uh, Norman Bates is nearby, or just somebody with, like, really intense mommy issues and probably going to murder someone soon. Oh, yeah. So she, she goes on a tour de force. She practically sees the whole movie in her head. We don't. She goes home now knowing the identity of the killer who at this point hasn't really killed, except for right at the beginning, there's a little murder, but you don't really have context for that. Anyway, killer comes up, boom, she's dead. Uh, We get introduced after that to Mark Daly, the very odd and um, not at all endearing lead. Uh, He is a pianist from the UK. He's in Italia to make the pianos dance, the keys dance. And uh, basically, he becomes the only witness to Helga Ullman's murder. Wait a second. Oh, that is... He does see Helga's murder through the window, right? Yeah. Quite a brutal murder, man. The level of gore in this compared to uh, Short Night of Glass Dolls is Mm. different planets. Yeah, much. And I mean, there's... There's something that I'll bring up a bit later about how they decided to to do the violence for this film, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. So he witnesses this this murder, actually his neighbor, so he rushes up, gets into her apartment, and he's like, oh my god, what's happening, let me help you out. But she can't hear him, because she's dead. And like he calls the cops, the cops are sort of questioning him. And then there's this weird scene where, like, a police captain is eating around the corpse. And I, I was just to myself, hate was like, that cop, dude. <laughs> never trust anyone who eats around a corpse. You never do it. 
Never do it. Absolutely. Especially if they're responsible for figuring out how the corpse became a corpse. It doesn't reek of professionality. Uh, not. For some reason, he's not really under investigation, and the cops don't feature heavily in this film, which is a nice change of pace from, uh, you know, Short Night of Glass Dolls, where the cops featured mildly. Yeah. But, yeah. Mark Daly is uh, joined by Daria Nicolado's Gianna Brezzi. Gianna Brezzi. Daria Nicolada actually having uh, shacked up with Mr. Dario Argento at some point, uh, producing a cinematic air. Yeah, this is... Let this be a lesson to all the aspiring actors out there. Um, if you want to get into the big time, just have sex mm. with a director. But it also helps if you're already in the big time, like she was. Uh, she was actually quite quite a well-known like oh, uh, sure. stage actress, and she'd already starred in a film... At that point. So Gianna is the jur- is a journalist who's uh, come to do some journalism about do, the man. murder. And she snaps a cheeky pic of our good friend Marcus. And then goes right ahead and publishes an article the next day that has a giant picture of Marcus. And says, only witness <laughs> to uh, brutal murder. Uh. Which is a fucking surefire way. Of getting a witness killed. Yeah. <laughs> she comes, takes a picture, starts investigating. And for some reason, Marcus is drawn to this case. He's not a cop. He's a jazz musician, which is the, first, the furthest thing you yeah. can get from a cop. But he he decides to undertake this investigation on his own uh, with a little help from Gianna and his good, good friend, Carl. Yeah, and also his other good friend, intense chauvinism. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna have a chat about Marcus's attitudes towards uh, women. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as time goes by, Marcus sort of unravels this mystery piece by piece, but he's always one step behind the killer. And for everything that happens, the killer is kind of sloppy. But also for every lead that Marcus comes up with, and I'm saying that in. <laughs> comes up with because it's, he's not really coming up with things Gianna is coming up with things and then he's following up yeah she's much better at this she's way better and he's like oh we're gonna have a competition and i will win but no dude you're not gonna win Gianna is an investigative journalist and you're just a piano man so piano man uh he's always one step behind the the killer and it's like the killer knows exactly what's going on and there's this intense mystery because you never get to see the killer it's not like in Blood and Black Lace even where you just sort of have the killer's figure. You know, you can see, oh, this seems masculine. All we see of, of the killer really is like leather gloves. And that's not giving much away. So you never get to yeah. see the killer. So it seems as though the killer has access to Marcus's leads. Because with every new witness, with every new lead... More people end up dead. Yeah, so who else gets whacked? One of his big leads is the writer Amanda Righetti. And um, she wrote a book of Italian folklore in which there's a story of a haunted house uh, where you can hear a child's song, a child singing, followed by a scream 
and silence. And this is almost exactly what uh, Helga Ullmann, the psychic, heard in the theater when she, you know, felt the killer's thoughts. So that sets uh, Marcus on the path to trying to find this house, the house, what do they call it? The house of the Uh, singing child. (laughs) It's something pretty on the nose. He finds the house, but not really any useful information in it until he notices something behind the plaster in one of the rooms. And he, he chips away and he finds a child's drawing of a kid with a bloody knife and a man with his stomach ripped open and bloody. Yeah, the child is sort of like raising the knife like you would a sword if you were... Some fancy fantasy person. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is almost a King Arthur looking. Yeah. Then he realizes that from the picture of the house that he got from Amanda Rigetti's book, there's something a little missing. He goes back to the house and sees, ah, there's a window that's disappeared from the front of the house. And he tries to get in from the outside like a yeah. fucking he's dingus. hanging off a railing with like a pickaxe and he <laughs> he's jumping at that wall and he's getting through to be honest but then he's like okay cool now that i have this yeah, like is, 10 by 10 centimeter hole that's just big enough to fit my hand through i'm gonna let go of the railing and see if i can't crawl my way into yeah. this room which doesn't work out obviously he slips and falls kind of no. slowly <laughs> that's a it's such an <laughs> old house um, so, like, everything is just fucking crumbling around him as he's trying to get <laughs> into this hole. Like, the ledge breaks and he grabs onto the drain <laughs> pipe and the drain pipe breaks. The only thing that doesn't break is the vine that he eventually grabs onto. And that's like, oh, my God. And then, like, ten minutes later, he's just doing the same thing yeah. from the inside as he should have been yeah. this entire uh, time. Marcus is um, not but anyway. the sharpest knife in the drawer. No, the man can jazz it up. Let's give him... Yeah, he's let's pretty at least jazzy. Give him that. He's, he's, he's very a jazzy. jazzy guy. He's jazzy to the point where you would think that he's got pretty advanced ideas on, you know, woman's lib and stuff. But he don't. He's just good uh, at them keys. He just tap, tap, tap. He, uh, he doesn't have much else going for him. So Marcus then gets into this hole eventually from the inside. He discovers, oh my God, there's like a, a lazy boy type uh, one-seater couch. <laughs> oh my God, a lazy <laughs> a boy. lazy boy because it turns out it's a corpse. Um, the laziest of boys. <laughs> so, so he sees a corpse. Please guys, sign our petition to rename corpses to lazy boys. <laughs> Uh, it's up on change.org. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and I'm put your signature that on that. So he's looking at the corpse. He's like, man, that's freaky. He's freaking out. And then obviously the killer sneaks up behind him and just sort of blackjacks him in the back of the head. And he's like, whoa, God, I'm passing out. Uh, next scene, pretty much we see Gianna has dragged him from the burning building. Gianna! Uh, with her womanly power. Dragged him out and pretty much saved his life again. And at this point, proven conclusively that she is better than Marcus in every single aspect. She's already dominated him physically. Now she's come to his rescue 
And it's become glaringly obvious that the intellectual uh, the intellectual coin fell on her side. Yeah. So they uh, go to the house, the, the mansion's caretaker's house, to call the fire department. And again, we see some hesitance from the authorities while Jana's talking to them on the phone, uh, where she has to explain to them that, yes, a building that's on fire is indeed <laughs> an emergency God. for the fire department. <laughs> um, and Marcus is kind of wandering around and he sees... I don't know what he was doing. He's just kind of vaguely... He's like a loose pinball. He's just like... He's racking up a high score. And he sees a picture on the wall of the caretaker's daughter's room that looks pretty much identical to the scribbled murderer child painting that he found on the wall. And he kind of browbeats this child <laughs> kind of definitely browbeats this child okay but i'm also i'm not feeling too much sympathy for the child because she is an animal torturer yeah so she's probably gonna uh, grow up to become the serial killer in deep red 2 <gasps> there's no deep red 2 okay we're gonna find no we're gonna find a link though between this film and one of argento's later ones i i'm pretty sure but anyway so she finally admits that she found the drawing in an archive yep. at her school and they rush over there to the Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci school to find this picture. And while they're going through pictures, Jeanne is like, I'm just going to maybe call the police and tell them we're here because yes. they just broke into the school. They did they're not, not official investigators. Follow procedure. No. So while uh, she's on her way to call the cops, she gets attacked by the killer and marcus finds her with a dagger in her belly oh and uh he finds the identity of the killer and it is his good good drunk friend yeah carlo poor gay carlo poor gay carlo yeah so the killer is carlo uh the cops show up they're kind of like shooting at carlo carlo manages to escape because the cops even shoot lazily it's like their bullets are like half speed. Yeah. I swear, like, uh, this is definitely austerity yeah. Italy at work. <laughs> like, none of the public services are doing very well at so, this point. So, Carlo scampers over the wall. Uh, he's like laughing at the cops. He's like, haha, you screw you guys. And he's running. And man, he just runs straight into a dump truck. The dump truck sort of spins him around. His leg gets hooked. On a thing. Yeah, like a piece of rebar. Yeah, he gets Final Destination hard. Because he gets dragged for like kilometers behind this thing. All while screaming. People in the cab are just like, da, 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 da. we're cleaning the streets. And um, yeah, he, he's just freaking out. And eventually they go around a tight corner. He goes for he goes skidding, knocks his head on the sidewalk. He's like, ugh. If, finally, the garbage truck stops. But just as it stops... Man, wouldn't you know it? An SUV pulls up and splashes the man's brains. Yeah, just drives right over his head. Carlo dies super hard. Like, he's really dead. Yeah, he's he's incredibly dead at this point. Yeah. Um, he's a real so, lazy boy. <laughs> it's a thing now. It's a thing. Um, so Marcus is kind of trying to continue on with his life. You know, the case is closed. We know who the killer is. But 
he can't shake. There's something he can't shake. Mm-hmm. And as he's walking down the plaza where he first saw Helga Ullmann's murder, he realizes that he was with Carlo not 10 seconds before he saw the murder occur on a, like, third story, in a third story window. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it absolutely could not have been Carlo. Yeah, because he's not the Flash. So he goes up back to the apartment looking for more clues, and he knows there's a painting that he saw while he was in the apartment when he tried to save Helga Ullmann, but that disappeared when the cops arrived. And he realizes as he's walking down this very strange hall, like, the paintings are truly bizarre, these weird ghostly faces. Yeah, they're sort of like wailing figures. Yeah, what really made it strange to me is that they're all in these kind of very ornate golden frames Mm -hmm. but anyway he realizes that what he saw was not a painting but a mirror yes and that he in fact saw the face of the killer yeah so how he got confused was the mirror is across from a painting so he saw all these faces in the painting but then also the killer was there and it turns out big twist and that's why i mentioned jason and norman bates it was carlo's mom this whole time it's the mom carlo's mom has got it going on. And by it, we mean she's a murderer. She's murdering, folks. Yeah, so he realizes this. And just as he realizes this, again, killer, one step ahead of him. She's there. She's looking really fly, man. She like She's pulling off that, that oh, trench coat. That fashion game. And that, like, that mm. hat. Mm, impeccable. And then she pulls out a meat cleaver. Kind of ruins the outfit. But she goes after Marcus. He's fleeing in terror. Um, which is, you know, what he usually does. And he kind of collapses in fear and she chops him in the shoulder. And as she chops him, like he kicks her with like a really awful kick and she just basically loses her balance because she got tipped and bang into an elevator. Her necklace chain goes through and what happens? Final destination. (laughs) She gets final destination. That elevator comes straight up, grabs the necklace and then she's freaking out. She's like, oh no, this is unpleasant. And then the chain pops her head right off. And the movie ends where Carlo is sort of just watching his reflection in a pool of Carlo's... No, not Carlo. Marco. Mark. Marky Mark. Uh, He's watching his reflection (laughs) in a pool of Carlo's mom's blood. uh, And then he just sort of has like a little breakdown. He's real sad. And that's how it ends. It's uh, we don't know if yeah. what the outcome will be because there's no one to prove that she was in fact the killer and not Mark. You know what? Actually, Mark could still actually be a suspect. Yeah, no. At least if you're be. looking at this from through the eyes of the laziest detectives <laughs> in all of Italy, yeah, I would definitely pin this one on Mark. Yeah, yeah. It it seems easier because you got two people who died accidentally. Okay, so let's dive into this really fun film. First thing I want to say about it is it's officially our very first romantic comedy. Yes, I'm so happy you brought that up because that's also exactly what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. And these scenes are largely the things that are cut from the US edition. Yes. But I found it so refreshing to... Be watching uh, Giallo, 
Yeah. It is definitely a Giala. More Giala But to than have most. these scenes where Marcus and Gianna are literally like doing Woody Allen bits. Yeah. Just like really good rom-com stuff. And I was so pleased with that. Gives such a nice little breath of fresh air. Yeah, usually a giallo film, the main characters are quite morose. But in this film, it seems that our male and female lead are falling in love while the story is happening. They don't really have personal stakes in this. And except for the fact that, you know, Mark's a suspect and, you know, he's probably going to go to jail forever and they're trying to skip the country. (laughs) Yeah, but even that is handled in a way that makes it sort of light and fun. Yeah. We have a couple of scenes, like, for instance, they're driving around in Gianna's beat-up shitty fucking fiat or whatever it is that's probably a fiat a fiat punto (laughs) the 72 model and like his seat collapses so he's basically just like sitting on the floor of the car which also marks a great little status change where she's yeah yeah uh, she's like higher status than him at that full foot taller than him in the car and he's sort of peeking out from the like (laughs) the passenger window just barely (laughs) nose above the the window line. And um, then he locks the door and she's like, oh, God, I hope you didn't lock the door because it can't open from the inside. <laughs> so he kind of has to clamber out through the sunroof. Yeah. Yeah, such such fun scenes. And it's actually funny that uh, I forget what his name is, but the actor that plays Marcus, before doing Deep Red, he was actually in vaudeville in the uk really wonderful work so he's very you can tell like he's a very physical actor he's and it's it's very uh physical gags that they're pulling another fave of course is the arm wrestling scene where marcus reveals himself to be a fucking chauvinist they always do man it always comes yeah. out he tells gianna that Women are the gentler sex, the weaker sex, the fragile sex, all that old spiel. And Gianna is not taking this lying down. She challenges him immediately to an arm wrestling match. Yes, a racially insensitive arm wrestling match. Oh, yeah, they call it Indian wrestling? Yeah, I don't think you can do that. Arm wrestling is more descriptive. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, so they start and she beats him completely and then he's like, oh, no, you cheated, you cheated. And then she's like, okay, fine, rematch your rules. And they do it by his rules and then she, yeah, she lifts her elbow a little bit and then slams him down again. But they're fairly evenly matched up until that point. He flips his lid and he's like, oh, I can't believe you cheated. But from that point, he doesn't like question her physical abilities ever again yeah he does become really angry like really really Um, angry you can tell that she kind of touched a nerve here Mm -hmm. because i think from her perspective she's kind of just having fun with it it's kind of like a little bit of light flirting but he reacts very poorly to having his masculinity called into question yeah and there's a great little callback to that scene later when he says, okay, you've proven that women are superior in brawn, but there's no question about men's uh, intellectual superiority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something along that line. Which again proves to be uh, not the case. No, because he doesn't actually figure anything out in the film. He never really expects uh, suspects Carlo 
He never suspects no. Carlo's mom. He meets her and he's on the phone with her. And she's playing this eccentric, mad person. Yeah. And he just Crazy. doesn't see through it. I also didn't see through it. I was just like, man, this is yeah, a really same. annoying character. What is she doing? But it is very interesting how in this film, as opposed to like all the other giallos, Dario Argento is really exploring that transitional time where you had people who were raised in the traditional, and you still get people like that, uh, people who were raised with traditional masculine uh, ideas or, or preconceived notions about masculinity. Like you have to be strong, mm. you have to be smart, you have to be brave. And throughout the film, it's proven that Marcus really only has bravery on his side. And that might just be because he doesn't understand the the, uh, yeah, the stakes. Yeah, he doesn't get the stakes entirely because he seems to be just having fun. Another point where, uh, and something interesting that came up in the, the features that I watched, was the potential for Marcus to actually be a uh, closet homosexual. I haven't, I, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, since Carla's uh, sexuality is kind of very openly shown. Yeah, the thing with it Carlo... It never occurred to me to think. Yeah, the thing with Carlo is that he is, he's very drunk, he's a very uncouth character. But you get this juxtaposition when they are in the piazza in Cherin or something. Uh, but there's the main the main square next to the restaurant where uh, where Carlos plays plays piano. Yeah, yeah, it's actually quite a famous uh, location. I just completely screwed up the name. And please tweet the correct one at me. But uh, at that point, we have this extremely wide shot. And this is another thing I love about Argento is. Man, the composition of his of his cinematography mm. is amazing. Ah. Yeah, chef's kiss. There we go. So we have this this uh, juxtaposition where you have the drunk Carlo, the sober uh, Marcus. Carlo is wearing a black suit with a white shirt. Marcus is wearing a white suit with a black shirt. Uh, so they are sort of played as opposites of each other. And when it comes down to it, Carlo is gay. And Marcus is struggling with a very, very fragile masculine sense of masculinity and something that really has never been tested. It, there are some readings of the film where you could say that perhaps he is a closeted homosexual. Like when he when he finds Carlo at Massimo's place and the door opens and there's this transgender person, Massimo. Uh, he's got like a, a wispy mustache, uh, but very feminine features. And that's in fact because it was mm. played by, by a woman, this this role of oh. a transgender person. Yeah. And it was very, very convincing. It just looked, you know, like a tra- transgender person, but also sort of dressed kind of sexily, you know, like clearly yeah. Marcus has interrupted uh, kind of something. And Marcus sees Massimo and his first reaction is like, Oh, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like kind of flustered, but he's, um, it's not a typical chauvinist reaction. If you know what I'm saying, it's yeah. like, oh yeah. He says, I think I, d- I don't care about your preferences or yeah. that's <sighs> my version of the movie was a little weird where the subtitles didn't always match the actual dialogue, yeah. but in the subtitles, it said, I don't give a damn about your preferences. And at first, I thought the film was going to be really, really progressive 
on this issue because they don't really make a thing about Carlos's uh, uh, Carlos sexuality. But in the end, I mean, I don't know, but I, I feel like it ends up falling into the trap of pathologizing homosexuality. Yeah, it does seem like Carlo's homosexuality becomes sort of a symptom of his the abuse he suffered as a child, where you could also read it as, you know, perhaps he just naturally is homosexual and there's no sort of trauma and this just he developed that way. But because of the intense guilt that he feels about being uh, homosexual, he refers to himself by a derogatory term. So he is clearly unhappy with himself in that regard. So that could, along with uh, seeing his mother murder his father when he was a little boy, could really be what's driving the alcoholism. And it could be like completely non-pathological. Yeah, I hope so. Um, But, you, you know, with a movie made in the 70s. Yeah. Risky territory. But yeah, the alcoholism and uh, his kind of general sense of nihilism, I think, can definitely be attributed to his trauma. And that's, uh, I think, also something that we begin discovering is that this is not one of the giallos in which the killer has to kill to cover up their crimes, but rather one in which this person is desperately trying to cover up their trauma. It's almost an act of repression via murder. Yeah, and the killers, I mean, Carlo and his mom, neither of them is doing well psychologically. I mean, the mom is batshit crazy. Man, she really knocked it out of the park as crazy, unsettling lady. Yeah, and Carlo is not coping well with, you know, his whole situation. He's like Um, fall down drunk and he keeps like knocking back drinks. It's like he is trying to kill himself. He is 100% leaving Las Vegas, trying to suicide himself. Marcus says to him in, um, when he finds him in Massimo's apartment, he says, listen, you're not going to make it if you keep drinking like this. And he replies, who said I wanted to make it? Which that's always a a funny thing to me is if someone says, um, oh, you're not going to make it. It's like, yeah, but on a long enough timeline, none of us are going to make it. So what am I making it to? Am I making it until tomorrow? And then that happens. Uh, it's just it's an easy thing to poke holes in, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, every tattoo is a temporary tattoo. I mean, most of the other things in Giallo films we've really covered, uh, there are some things that I noticed that in most Giallo films, there's always an element of an amateur investigator, which that seems to be universal. And another mm. thing that I just noticed when we were talking is a sense of either corrupt or just lazy law enforcement or just civil servants in general. Yeah, the authorities are completely useless. Again, in this film, amazing soundtrack by Goblin. Really, really impeccable. Still, Suspiria soundtrack. This film didn't beat Suspiria for me. But Louis, if you had to rate this film out of one to five wailing faces on a painting... That you had that you're hanging up all over your house. How many wailing faces would you have on a painting hung up all over your house um, for this movie? I'm I'm gonna give us four wailing faces, and what they're wailing is this is really quite a good film. 
That is uh, convincing. Do, do they have like a speech bubble? No, they're literally screaming because they're haunted by the ghost of the father, the lazy boy. Oh, the ultimate lazy boy. Um, that's fantastic. I give it, oh, man, it's it's tough. I also give it four out of five. Um, I'm not going to give it five because that's a perfect score. Mm-hmm. And the only perfect movie out there is Suspiria. So this isn't quite Suspiria, but you can see that Dario is the master. <laughs> yeah, it marks, I think, kind of a transitional moment between his uh, straighter giallo stuff and his later more, you know, uh, like neony gothicy yeah. supernatural stuff cuz there's a yeah. little bit of the supernatural in here but not really as a as a main focus yeah you have um, the psychic at the beginning and in, in traditional giallo films that you know there's no supernatural element yeah yeah i re- i really i really like this one especially because it also you know jumps outside of genre especially with the with the rom-com stuff and there's a great thing that Marcus says at the beginning while he's teaching his students. He says, uh, yeah, you guys sound fine, but it's it's too formal. You need to make it more messy. You need to make it more trashy. You know, this is the music. This is nightlife music. You know, it comes from the brothels. And I feel like that's almost what he was trying to do in the film. Almost as if that is a maxim for Deep Red is don't worry about staying in genre lines. Just make it fun yeah have fun with it and that's the thing he says that he wants to be able to see the brush strokes and in deep red you can see dario argento's brush strokes and they just add to the greatness of of the piece as always you can find us on twitter at stay scary on facebook at stay scary uh, I'm Fraser Chonji on Twitter. You can at me. You can hashtag stay scary or be positive. I'm sure it'll come up. Go out to your internet. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Go to rate. Rate us five stars. If that's the maximum, you rate us five stars. You leave a review of like, man, these guys are just the bomb. I feel like they're my best friends. I feel like they're pulling me through life, making me a more positive and complete human being, and you write that down, and you, you submit, you click submit, make sure you click submit, <laughs> and then, you know, you go out and you tell your best friend's grandmother. Mm, mm-hmm. I also just, we're, we're usually very bad at kind of marking uh, important moments, but this, I believe, is our 30th episode this is the 30th released episode yeah we're finally on top of the shit look at us 30 episodes um, down yeah I'm, I'm really pleased with that i think i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad we managed to stick it out yeah and we also uh we just passed i think it's probably 550 downloads in the month of may so uh thanks for listening we're, we're doing this yeah. for you. I'm watching these movies for you. The last thing, well, not the last thing, uh, pretty soon we're going to be, I'm going to be back in Joburg for a big time spectacular. Uh, we're, we're planning a live show. No dates or 
tickets or whatever available yet. Probably going to be a free yeah, show. Yeah, when, when we say we're planning a live show, we're in fact um, thinking of planning a live show. I feel like... We're still largely in the conceptual phase. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you suggested it to me and then my brain was like, ah, it's happening. You gotta... Fraser, you gotta... Yeah. You gotta get over your shit. You gotta, you gotta be better, man. Just get better at things. <laughs> Make yourself likable, and uh, you're likable. I like you. Yeah, well, five hundred and fifty other people also like me. So, thanks. <laughs> or maybe they don't. Maybe they listen just to hate me, uh, which is also probably not likely. I don't know. Anyway, not a great way to spend your podcasting time. No. Uh, and then also we're going to be having another live event before that, but it's going to be in China. So, I don't know. Go to China. Go to China. Come to Nanning. Go through the incredibly tough uh, visa procedure. Come to Nanning. And then you'll, uh, I don't know, you can see like our first sort of live show. And it's just going to be me. And I'm just hosting like a dr- B-movie drinking night type of thing and there's gonna be drinks and quiz and it's gonna be a fun time uh so if you're in town then be sure to to pull through to that and last but not least next time on be positive okay this is the moment okay what is it just just do it just tell me we go classic with the 1965 gem frankenstein meets the space monster <laughs> yeah, the universe has spoken. Giallo bellied is uh, over. I kind of want to go back to it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, uh, it's gonna be fantastic. Apparently, it's about a guy who gets shot down by some Martians. He crashes and then looks like Frankenstein's monster, and then he fights the mon- Martians because they want the <laughs> Earth Woman. <laughs> classic tale of good versus martian and you'll find it next time on be positive a positive b movie podcast and as always you stay scary and as always if the ghost lady tries to sell you a spooky hot dog remember to put the mustard uh i thought you were gonna say don't eat the hot dog but if someone so- sells me a spooky hot dog and i'm gonna be like yeah give me that spooky hot dog nom, 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 nom. it ain't uh, yeah, but-